0: 20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on X at Andy Herman NFL. I have a plethora of of topics that I want to go over today. I want to discuss the Packers report guard from the NFL Players Association, Preston Smith's new contract, another new coach in Green Bay. I want to go over some of my favorite players that I'm anticipating are going to have new roles in this Jeff Halfley defense. There is a ton to go over, so let's jump in right away. Before I get there, quick shout-out to our brand new Packaday podcast YouTube member, Alan Fent. Alan, thanks so much for becoming a member I'm not going to go over it in too much detail today, but check those Pack-A-Day podcast memberships out if you have not already. Let's start things off, though, with a new coach for this Packers defense. Yes, another new coach for this Packers defense. Another one that, just based on the resume, I'm pretty excited about. Anthony Perkins, assistant defensive backs coach or new assistant defensive backs coach for your Green Bay Packers. Uh, He will obviously help out in the secondary and has a lot of secondary experience Uh, He started at Indiana State as a secondary coach, then moved to Ohio as a cornerbacks coach, spent a little bit of time with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an assistant to the head coach. And during that time, guess what he helped out with the defensive backs. Then he went to Colorado State to become a cornerbacks coach and then Oregon State as a cornerbacks coach as well. And then in the very last bowl game that he was a part of at Oregon State, he was their interim defensive coordinator as well. So clearly a coach that they thought highly of another coach that is making the jump from the college ranks to the NFL. This is something that as justice and I have discussed, and a lot of people have been talking about. If you have the opportunity to go to the NFL right now, the quality of life is just a little bit better. It's a better gig. The pay might be a little bit different. The title might be a little bit different. But most coaches right now are more interested in going to the NFL than they are sticking with college football. And this will be an opportunity for Anthony Perkins to get his foot back in the door from an NFL side of things. At Oregon State, his claim to fame, he had eight defensive backs that were named all-conference during his tenure. He's had a ton of success coaching the, the secondary and should bring that to Green Bay as well. So another new defensive face for that staff, another new coach under Jeff Halfley. And as I've said all along, really, really like this staff that Jeff Halfley is assembling. I think it's going to bring a lot of energy, a lot of new voices, a lot of new ideas, and hopefully, hopefully this all leads to Finally, this Green Bay Packers defense becoming something that they can lean on and be a part of the solution and a part of the reason why this team is a Super Bowl contender, not just sort of along for the ride with a really good offense and a really good quarterback like it basically has been for the majority of the past three decades. All right, let's jump into Preston Smith. Preston Smith is the second Packer who re, you know restructured his contract, but this one is a little bit different. This is not your typical restructure. This feels like a little bit more of a pay cut for Preston, if we're being honest here. Per Tom Silverstein, and I think it was ESPN that reported it first, or maybe it was NFL Network, I apologize, but it was one of the main outlets that reported it first, but then Tom Silverstein got a little bit more into the details on it, so kudos to him. $1.9 million is coming off his base salary this upcoming season, which was $5.7 million. in exchange for, he received up to $4 million in SAC incentives. Now, per Ken Ingalls, Smith already had $3 million in sack incentives, so it's likely that he took a pay cut up front and then Green Bay added some SAC incentives, but it probably wasn't a full $4 million in incentives. It might just be $1 million in incentives. This is going to be one of those contracts that we're going to have to wait and see a little bit to see exactly how it was restructured before we're going to get the full ins and outs of it. Per field Yates, the Packers created a total of 2.4 million in salary cap space. Now, if they only took 1.9 million off of his 5.7 base salary, they had to save 500,000 elsewhere. That's why, like I said, it's going to take the actual terms of the contract before we're going to be able to get into the details on this a little bit more. But there are three very specific things that we learned from this Preston Smith restructure. One. And maybe most importantly, and most notably, is that Preston Smith will, in fact, now for sure, be a Green Bay Packer in 2024. I was fairly certain, uh, as we've sort of discussed this offseason already, that Preston Smith would remain in Green Bay. He did have an interesting contract where there was at least some possibility that Green Bay could go the release route. And listen, anytime there is any sort of pay cut whatsoever, the adage is basically like, hey, if you're going to the player in the agent to discuss a pay cut, you better be ready to potentially release them if they say no. Because if you just start going to players and say, hey, we want you to take a pay cut and they say no, and then you're like, oh, okay, never mind. Forget we said anything. One, it can be a little bit awkward. That's not a huge issue. But two, then it sort of gets word around the league of, well, if you just say no, <laughs> they're not going to do anything anyway. So just always say no. So you kind of have to have the backbone of like, hey, if we don't work out a restructure here and you don't do something to cut your salary, we're going to release you. So they're, I'm not saying that was necessarily the case here. It could have been a very amicable agreement between Preston Smith and the Green Bay Packers. Sometimes these things work out really well. Preston maybe just wanted to stay in Green Bay. Green Bay knew that they needed to get his salary cap down in some way. And there was just a perfect agreement that took place. That could be the case. But usually, more often than not, if you're going and asking for any sort of pay cut, even if you're willing to add some of those incentives back in, you have to be willing to make the change and go in a different direction. If the agent and the player just say, no, if you're not happy with the contract, release us. You might get into the situation where you actually have to release them. I always expected Preston to be back. I did think there was a sliver of opportunity where if things maybe took a wrong turn somewhere, that Preston could be released. I thought the Enigbari injury maybe even cemented it as super likely that Smith would be back because you've got Rashawn, you've got LVN, but then Enigbari is hurt to start the season in all likelihood. If Preston's gone, you're really just left with like Bretton Cox and a bunch of unknowns. And even Bretton Cox is very much an unknown And then you're starting to like, oh, we actually need more edge rushers. I'm not sure Green Bay wanted to go in that direction. Furthermore, Preston Smith has been such an amazing locker room presence. He's been the consummate professional. He's been a real key for that Packers defense and really played some really great football towards the end of the year. I like this deal for Green Bay. I love the fact that they were able to get that uh, contract down. And I love the fact that Preston is going to stay a Packer in 2024. So that was the first thing that we learned, that he's going to stay. Number two, it does, again, look like this is primarily going to be a pay cut with maybe a little bit more restructuring done. And like I said, some incentives attached to it, but this is not, at least it doesn't seem like what's going to be one of these classic, you're pushing money, uh, at least a bunch of money into future years. They didn't do that. They got him to buy into a, a little bit of a pay cut with some incentives and maybe just a little bit restructuring with it as well. But this doesn't seem to be the traditional pay cut. And now, this is the third thing we learned, is that this is the second consecutive restructure that Green Bay has now done that has not contained, at least it seems this way, that has not contained a bunch of void years and a bunch of really dead money down the road. When we talked about the salary cap changing and going up more than teams were expecting it to, one of the things I talked about was... Don't necessarily expect them to just, you know, start spending cash, expect them to say, Hey, we might need to do a little bit less restructuring than we initially thought we were going to have to do. And what that potentially enables you to do is not have to do all of these super backloaded deals with a ton of void years where you're ending up in not great contracts down the road. And I think this is where Green Bay is going to have this beautiful middle ground moving forward where they're going to be able to have money to spend in free agency if they want. They can open up additional money if they really need to to get a player that they really, really want. But in the meantime, probably add a couple solid players via free agency, five guys via the top 100 in the draft, and then uh, probably more than that, clearly more than that overall through the course of day three and undrafted free agency as well. And then, I think you also get to the point where you're going to be able to get fiscally responsible and really save some money so that in 2025, you might be able to go a little bit more heavy on a shopping spree than maybe what you even could in 2024. I love this direction that Green Bay is heading so far think this is a very good restructure and we are going to have to wait and see a little bit to get those final details of the contract to go into the extreme minutia of it. I know you're all waiting uh, at the edge of your seats for that, but we'll get those details and probably go over that in the course of the next couple of days. But that's what it seems like on the surface is more pay cut than full-time restructure. A quick aside here about player contracts, because I want to be very clear about my sort of preference here, because there's a little bit of a balancing act, at least from my point of view. The first thing I'll always say is I want players to get as much money as they possibly can. It's a 50-50 revenue split between owners and players right around there, and I'm always on the side of the players. I would rather the players who are putting their bodies on the line get as much in their contracts as they can while they're playing. It's a very difficult sport. It is a sport that pays a ton of money and makes a ton of money, and I want players to get as much as they can, period, end of story. And while we always talk about these restructures and releasing players to get salary cap friendly and all those sort of things, I just want you to know it always comes with like, hey, I know this isn't done in an Excel spreadsheet. I know it's not done in a vacuum. I know even when a Preston Smith is restructuring money, this is money out of his pocket. Like the, the Green Bay is saving money, but Preston is potentially losing money in this renegotiation. So on the one side of things, always in favor of the players getting as much money as they can. And obviously from their side of things, I'm not, you know, going to bed every night being like, man, hope, hope Green Bay can take more money off of Preston Smith's plate and hope. That's not necessarily what I'm hoping for here. I'm hoping those guys all get paid the way that they should get paid. On the other side of things is what you're hoping for. And we kind of talked about this. If you listen to the T Higgins conversation yesterday is there are a finite amount of resources that you have as a franchise. And as a fan of the team, you want the team to have as many resources as they can to go and get players, really good players, hopefully. And in order to do so, sometimes you need to be harsh and businesslike with some of the contracts that are currently on your roster. And like I said, in some of those negotiations and situations, you have to be willing to move on and you have to have those really hard discussions. But in doing so, you open up money, you open up resources to go and build your roster even further. And that's just where you get in this really sort of double-edged sort of, I do want the players to do as well as they possibly can because they more than deserve it. At the same token, I'm a fan of a team that has a a limited amount of resources and I would always love for them to have more resources to go and get and pay other players. So it's always this balancing act, but I do just want to put out there that, while I, I do hope that Green Bay can always open up these opportunities to go and spend more money and build the team in the way that's advantageous, I'm also feeling for the players too, because I do really much want them to do and get as much as they possibly can while they are playing for our favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. All right, let's jump next into the NFL Players Association report card. This is the second consecutive season in which the Packers, or in which the uh, NFL Players Association, I should say, has done report cards for every single team. Last year, they graded them on, let's see, seven different categories treatment of families food service and nutrition, weight room, strength coaches, training room, training staff, locker room, and team travel. I'm great at counting. That's eight categories. This year, there were a handful of more categories. The categories this year were treatment of families, food and cafeteria, nutritionist slash locker room, training room, training staff, weight room, strength coaches, team travel, head coach, and ownership. So a few additional categories this season, and just a little bit of a different way of going about separating out those categories. For those who remember, last year for the twenty twenty two season, they graded sixth overall. Their treatment of families was graded a B plus. Food service and nutrition an A. Weight room an A. Strength coaches an A. Training room a B minus. Training staff an A minus. Locker room a B. And team travel an A. That was in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty two. For 2023, the grades that just came out now in 2024 for the grades in 2023, all super easy to understand. Treatment of families, the Packers got a C plus. Food and cafeteria, they got a B plus. Nutrition slash dietitian, they got a B. Locker room, a B minus. Training room, a B. Training staff, a B. Weight room, an A. Strength coaches, an A minus. Team travel, a B plus. Head coach, a B plus. And ownership, an A. Overall, even though some of those grades were a little bit worse, they graded third out of 32 teams overall. So third place out of 32 teams on the overall report card. So Green Bay still in a very good uh, spot there. However, there's some really interesting things to dig into here and kind of break down in greater detail. From last year to this year, the majority of categories that were on the report card already, they actually moved down in, which is kind of interesting. Treatment of families last year was a B+. Plus. This year, it was a C+. Food and nutrition last year was an A. This year, it moved to a B plus. Weight room last year was an A. This year, it was an A. Strength coaches went from an A to an A-. Training room was the only one that moved up. It went from a B- to a B, so a slight increase there. Training staff went from an A- to a B, Locker room went from a B to a B minus and team travel went from an A to a B plus. So actually a decent amount of step backs, even though they actually went from sixth overall to third overall. Clearly some of those additional categories helped and aided in their really overall improvement from sixth to third. Now, if you're wondering some, there's, there's nuance to this, and it's important that we go over exactly what this grading scale was. The first thing is that 77% of players responded per the NFL Players Association. Now, we don't know for Green Bay specifically. We don't know if it was 77% for Green Bay. It might have been 50% of the players for Green Bay. might have been 100% of the players for Green Bay. We don't know. But on average, 77% of all NFL players responded to this. If you're wondering, these grades that were given out, These were not done by some board of directors on the NFL Players Association. These grades were the actual Packer players that were grading the Green Bay Packers organization on those categories. So this is not some arbitrary number. I don't like, this is not a, you know, top 100 vote where I think players are just randomly filling things in. It does seem like the players are taking this very seriously. And like I said, almost, you know, 80%, 77% of NFL players did fill out this survey. So that is a pretty good indicator of where you are overall as a franchise. This is a very interesting point to keep in mind here as we kind of go through these grades in a little bit more detail. The survey was administered from August 26th to November 16th. Those were the dates that this survey was administered. The Packers, remember, were coming off an eight and nine season where they did not make the playoffs. They traded away Aaron Rodgers in the offseason, and they had a three and six record through November 16th. So they did not exactly have this awesome situation at that point in the season when this survey was taking place. In addition, where probably a large part of these players filled out the survey, from September 25th to November 4th, they went that entire time without winning a football game. There was a huge losing streak with a bye in the middle. So like almost the entirety of this time, Green Bay was not exactly doing a ton of winning. So some of these categories, especially like the head coach one, which we're going to discuss in just a little bit, might be skewed a little bit by the fact that, again, you're coming off a, a little bit of a disappointing season in 2022 with an eight and nine record. You moved on from your fan, you know, franchise, face of the franchise quarterback and Aaron Rodgers in the off season. And Green Bay had not done a ton of winning to start the season when this survey was administered. So all of those things could have gone into like, hey, maybe some of these grades actually being a little bit worse than maybe they could have been had Green Bay maybe started the way that they actually ended the season, or if the survey was administered further to the end of the season. So let's just kind of quickly break down some of these because there were additional comments that were put on the report card for the Packers. The treatment of families one is interesting. It was their lowest grade with a C plus. However, it ranked them 10th in the NFL. So 10th out of 32 teams with a C plus. This is more a commentary in my opinion on the entire state of the NFL than it is on the Packers uh, just individually. They're 10th best in treatment of families, but only graded as a C plus the big, uh, you know, issue that Packers players had with the organization here is that the Packers were one of only seven teams to not provide daycare support for players, children during game days, not You know, that's an interesting one, and mostly because you wouldn't think that this is going to be something that would be an exorbitant cost. It feels like a very easy fix. Now, I don't know if they're, my guess is maybe they want it for all games, but I think you could probably at least start with just home games, right? For away games, it might be a little bit different. Maybe it's not. Maybe you could just do it for all games. That's probably the ideal result here. But at least during home games, family night, preseason games, you're probably talking about 12 to 15 days a year. Even if you do all of them, you're talking about 17, you know, games plus maybe a couple playoff games, preseason. You're probably like 25 days out of the year at most that even if you're doing family night and things like that, where you need to provide childcare and it's not like it, again, it's like this huge period of time. You probably need to do it for like five hours. That should not be a huge cost, and it's something you could probably outsource fairly easily if you wanted to do something like that because a lot of daycare facilities are closed during the weekend. So if you found a daycare facility that was like willing to do this and you were willing to pay them and you got a couple of the you know daycare support uh, professionals that were there during the day um, that could do it on a, a Sunday – For the, you know, however many kids that they wanted to do it for, you could probably figure out something fairly simple. This feels like a very easy fix. And even though Green Bay's 10th in the league overall, that C plus could probably go up and probably be something that would be uh, beneficial for the players and clearly something that is on their mind because that was the lowest grade that they had of any of the categories. Food cafeteria, they got a B plus sixth overall in the NFL. There were no key takeaways there other than like the food was fresh and the food was good. Awesome. Great nutritionist/ slash dietitian they got a B, which was 14th in the NFL. Only 76% of players felt like they got an individualized plan, which was 22nd in the NFL. so that's something Green Bay can improve upon there. Locker room received a B minus, which was 15th in the NFL. This was the, the quote here. Most players felt that the current locker room provides them with plenty of space, but believe it could use some updating. That was another key takeaway from the Packers is they thought the locker room was a little bit out of date and maybe could be a little bit more modern. Training room was a B, which brought them in at 11th. 82% of players felt that they had enough full-time physical therapists, but the players felt that they could use more physical therapists on staff to help with rehab. Now, there's a joke here about all the injuries that the Packers had, right? Because 82% of players felt like they had enough full-time physical therapists, but the players felt like they could use more physical therapists on staff to help with rehab. That might go because Green Bay had so many injuries a season ago that they just couldn't probably get the time with the physical therapist that they needed. Um, Maybe it's different than that. Maybe it's a little bit more complex. I'm sure it probably is, but probably all the injuries that Green Bay had did not help the cause because like I said, 82% of the players felt like they had enough full-time physical therapists, but maybe Green Bay can add one or two more physical therapists to the staff to help out for their litany of injuries that they've had through the course of the seasons. Maybe it just won't be an issue in 2024. We can all hope that that will actually be the case. All right, the weight room was a A, high-quality equipment and enough space overall that ranked them 7th in the NFL. This is an interesting one, the next one. Strength coaches was an A-, 8th best in the NFL. Chris Gizzy was the head strength coach. He has since been fired, if you remember correctly. Interestingly enough here, too, the players felt that the strength coaches significantly contributed towards their success, Sixth best in the NFL. This will be worth tracking on the grades next year. And this is interesting because I know people are commenting on like, well, Green Bay had so many injuries. That's not necessarily a strength issue. The, the, you know, when I talked to Mike wall about it, had a great conversation, you know, from what he has heard and what he knows, and he is in that realm all the time. His opinion was Chris Gizzy was one of the best strength coaches in the NFL The Packers players themselves viewed that the strength coaches significantly contributed towards the Packers' success, and they fired him. This is going to be an interesting one to track. I'm not saying that it can't get better. There's a chance that it could, and clearly, you know, Green Bay maybe thought that there could have been better processes in place, and maybe they could have done a better job at preventing some of these injuries. That's not all strength and conditioning stuff. It's just not, but that probably played some part in it. But it's also worth noting that both Brian Gudekinst and Matt LaFleur were adamant, especially Goody was adamant about how great of a, a strength and conditioning coach, and Matt was as well, that Chris Gizzy was. So this is more of just a, hey, we want to go in a different direction, different ideas, but this will very much be worth tracking if this grade goes down significantly in 2024 when we get this grade and report card next year because this is a pretty significant change. I know a lot of people wanted this. A lot of people were shocked when I said I was surprised that they let go of Chris Gizzy, and this is because a lot of the stuff that I heard was that he's fantastic at what he does, and the Packers have even gone out of their way after firing Chris Gizzy to say how fantastic he is at what he does. So a really interesting dynamic here. And like I said, one that's going to be worth keeping an eye on team travel. The Packers got a B plus fourth overall in the NFL. And one of the big things that they got graded uh, appropriate or like uh, positively on here was that they do not require roommates before games uh, when they're traveling away, which is a, a huge thing for the players head coach. This is the other really interesting one here head coach, was a B plus. That sounds great. He got a B plus. That doesn't sound bad. But that actually ranked Matt LaFleur 21st out of 32 NFL coaches, 21 out of 32 with a B plus. The interesting notes here, 92% of the players felt that Matt LaFleur was efficient with their time, which ranked 15th in the NFL. No major takeaway there, but he was 26th in the, in this category. Malaflor was moderately willing to listen to the locker room, which graded him 26th overall in that specific category, moderately willing to listen to the locker room. Now, this is where those caveats that I mentioned earlier really come into play. Packers coming off a season where they didn't make the playoffs, trade away the franchise quarterback, and now are in the midst of a pretty significant losing streak. They have a three and six record by the time that the, the test was finalized and completely administered, had lost four games in a row, probably when the majority of players were filling this out. And you always have to remember, too, that a couple players giving an F or something like that where they were frustrated could have really significantly caused that grade to be a little bit lower as well. It's also worth noting like a B plus is not a bad grade. It just is interesting that it ranked him 21st out of 32 coaches and it, he graded very poorly as willing to listen to the locker room. Now, that's something that might have improved as the season went along, meaning that he might have listened to the players more and took more advice from the players, which maybe resulted in the turnaround. It's also worth noting that this is an incredibly young team. The young players here might not know any different. They might think that, like, you know, Matt is being a little bit more, you know, or like unwilling to listen, but... They don't have anything to compare it to from other NFL franchises. There's only a handful of veterans that have actually played for other teams in the NFL on the entire roster because they've been so draft and develop, especially as of late. So I wouldn't put too much stock into this. This will be one to sort of keep an eye on moving forward to see if that changes dependent upon how Green Bay does in the next year. Uh, but I'm. It was that was a surprise to me that he was 21st out of all coaches, and that he ranked very lowly uh, or, or poorly, I should say, in listening to the remainder of the locker room. All right, ownership. Congratulations, everyone! You did it. You received an A for your ownership of the team. Sixth overall in the NFL. I uh, like I joked on Twitter or X. I think everyone is updating their LinkedIn profile that they received a grade of uh, A from the NFL Players Association for their role in the ownership of the team. So congratulations to all of you owners out there. Uh, But specifically, the grade here was buoyed by the fact that they said Mark Murphy's willingness to invest in team facilities was a huge positive for them. And again, ownership graded as an A with sixth overall. My overall takeaways here, Matt LaFleur listening to players was a really interesting note, and we'll see if that improves next year when this is done again. The new strength coach is going to be another one to keep an eye on because clearly the players thought very highly of Chris Gizzy and that strength staff. And then individualization was one that came up in a variety of different categories. They wanted more individualized physical therapy, individualized training, and individualized nutrition. Like those are things that Green Bay can probably improve upon a little bit as well. And then the game day childcare would probably go a long way in bringing that care of families up. Again, one of only seven teams that doesn't do that. That seems like a fairly easy fix that's not gonna have an exorbitant cost alongside of it. But last but not least, Packers still, even though they have some things that they can do to improve, ranked third out of 32 teams in the NFL. The Vikings, meanwhile, in the NFC North were second, the Packers third, the Bears were 10th, and the Lions were 13th. So all four NFC North teams were rated in the top 13 in the NFL. Maybe most interestingly though, the team that just won the Super Bowl rated 31 out of 32 teams. So clearly it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful just based on your NFL players association, you know, grade. They graded 31st and they won the Super Bowl. So take it for what it's worth. I do think it's very interesting. I do think it really shows some things that the Packers can ultimately do better on, but you know, ultimately, you're trying to win football games, and it's a business, and uh, I would always love for player conditions to get better, but I'll also take a Super Bowl. Whatever it takes to do that is probably the most important, but some things that Green Bay can work on, and I'm sure based on their history, they will definitely do so. All right, last, uh, Not last but not least, but the, my, my penultimate topic here is I haven't had the, a real opportunity to go over some of the players that I'm most excited about and and maybe position groups that I'm most excited about in this new Jeff Halfley defense and really transitioning away from Joe Barry and moving to this Joe, uh, sorry, Jeff Halfley style of defense. The first group that I'm really excited about in this new style is the cornerback group. First of all, Jair Alexander, and let's just say Eric Stokes and Carrington Valentine as well. All three of those players to me fit better closer to the line of scrimmage playing man-to-man coverage, playing a more physical brand of football. That's the style that all three of them are better at. I don't think any of the three were set up well in the old style under Joe Barry. And I think this is going to be a huge plus for the corners. Now, that does not give them a cop-out of like, hey, we're going to play a lot of press man now so we can focus on that. You can't just play man. You can't just play press man all throughout the entirety of the game. You have to have everything at your disposal. You got to be able to go cover two, cover three, cover four, match coverage, whatever you want to be able to do You have to have answers to what the offense has in their bag too. You can't just keep doing the same thing over and over because eventually you will get exposed. Eventually, the opposing team is going to call enough man beaters to just get you out of that coverage. And you're going to have to be able to play a variety of different ways. I am super excited about all three of those players. I think they're going to fit a lot better in this scheme and in this style of defense. Um, But I do need to see all three of those players continue to grow with their skill sets, with their technique and how they cover, even if they're not in man-to-man coverage. But I think that is going to be a big win. Number two is the defensive tackles. Now, I think this is going to be fairly similar, but I think we're going to see a lot more Kenny Clark on the nose and then Devontae Wyatt and Carl Brooks a lot at the three technique with TJ Slayton backing up at the nose. And I think this is the ultimate best way to use those defensive tackles. Kenny Clark is so great at the nose because when he's in at the nose, he can do all of the nose tackle stuff and doing the real heavy lifting and really holding up at the point of attack, but, but he still has all the pass rush in his repertoire. So instead of having like a TJ Slayton as your nose and Kenny Clark as your three technique where you don't maybe have the same overall pass rush prowess where Kenny Clark is probably like an okay pass rusher from a three-technique standpoint. He's one of the best pass rushers as a pure nose tackle in the NFL. So you kind of get an upgrade from a pass rush standpoint at the nose tackle because Kenny will be playing there more. And at the three-technique, you still have pass rushers that can get to the quarterback, specifically in Devontae Wyatt and Carl Brooks. And you guys know how excited I am about Brooks. And I still think there is a lot to gain there from Devontae Wyatt. I think all of these players slayed in perfectly with Slayton and Kenny Clark and maybe a Jonathan Ford at the nose tackle with Carl Brooks, Devontae Wyatt and Colby Wooden playing more of that three technique. I think it just sort of really sorts out really well. So I'm excited about that aspect of it. Quay Walker is the next one on my list. I, I talked about this with Peter Bukowski. Both Peter and I are on the same page where we're not huge Quay Walker believers. There's enough on tape that gives me cause for concern. However, what I will say is this. He's a freak athlete. He's super fast. I did see signs of growth from 2022 to 2023, no question about it. And I do think that this defense might provide an opportunity just for something different And I think it's going to allow him to flow to the football more and not have to think quite as much. And I think when you have a player like Quay Walker, you want him playing fast, instinctual football, not pausing and having to think of all the different assignments that are buzzing through his brain at a million miles per hour. I think if he can play a little bit faster and a little bit more instinctual, I think that's going to put him in a better position to succeed. And I'm just excited for something different for Quay, because I do believe there is a level that he can reach that is so far beyond what we saw out of him the past couple seasons. And I'm hoping maybe a new defense and a new linebackers coach and all those sort of things can bring out all that raw, natural talent that Quay has, and he can make a major jump in 2024. And then last but not least is Rashawn Gary and LVN. I'm still interested to see, even though they're playing a quote-unquote 4-3, we know they're going to live in nickel, but even at Boston College, a lot of their 4-3 looks were still with guys standing up on the outside. We'll see with Rashawn and Preston and-, and Igbari eventually and you know LVN if they want these guys to put their hand in the dirt or if they want them to stand up. Like I've said before, I think you can end up in situations where maybe Preston and, and Igbari stay standing up. And maybe Rashawn Gary and LVN put their hands in the dirt. You can go about this in a variety of different ways. But if they do go the direction of LVN and Rashawn Gary putting their hand in the dirt, I am interested to see what they're going to be capable of. I do think it could be beneficial and advantageous for them as players to play with it. Maybe in a little bit more of a wide nine, get a little bit more of a head start convert that speed to power, and put a little bit more pressure on those offensive tackles, I think that could be a win, and I'm excited about that aspect of it as well. So the three corners, specifically uh, the outside corners, Valentine, um, Jair Alexander, and Eric Stokes, Koi Walker, the defensive tackles, and Rashawn Gary slash LVN, all players I'm really excited about to see in this brand new defense. One other quick note, Mark Wasveldas Scantling was released by the Chiefs. Uh safe to say he's not going to be back in Green Bay for anyone that was potentially hoping for that. I think Green Bay has enough wide receivers on their roster right now. I don't think he is going to be in the cards, but I do expect him to find work quickly. This was more of a contract situation and certainly wishing MVS the best of luck as he finds a new team and moves on from Kansas City this offseason. That is going to do it for me today. Like I said, a variety of different topics. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new one. So you're never going to want to miss it. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and all pro members. Most of Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Che Bradad, Brandon Paletta, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Donald Lee, Lori Lord, Baby QB, David McCluskey, Donald Decker, and Flixen Gasfeld, Bar Bremen. I will see you guys tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go. <music>